We, uh, we're going to be learning about obedience and disobedience today. Um, we're going to be doing some page turning, which I don't typically do very much. So um, if you want to go ahead, uh, we're going to start in 1 Kings chapter 13. We will bounce to uh, 2 Kings chapter 5. We will then go to Joshua chapter 6. And... Uh, I won't give you too many for now. We'll start with that. All right. So we're going to take a look at a few different stories regarding obedience and disobedience and kind of how it pans out and the importance of seeking God's will in your life and walking in it. Um, the first story we're going to come to is a story that's kind of uh, dear to me for a few reasons. It's First Kings chapter 13. Um, we will just kind of read through, get a little context, and then we're, we're going to cover a lot of scripture, but we're going we're gonna to discuss it too, so just bear with me. Um, to start it off uh, for some context, in chapter 12 there, I'll just summarize that uh, King Jeroboam, he came to power in Israel, he built two golden calves, built a bunch of altars to them on the high places, and started sacrificing to these golden calves. And get a load of this. If you're familiar with Exodus, this is going to sound really familiar. He tells the people of Israel, Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up out of the land from Egypt. And that sounds shockingly familiar to what, uh, what the people of Israel said when Moses was on the mountain. He was on the mountain for 40 days. They were getting worried he wasn't coming back. And they said, Okay, well... Let's just make our own gods and get it over with. And they built the, Aaron built a golden calf for him. And they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And that was in Exodus 32, verse 4, that they said that. That was the chapter. And then Moses comes down, finally. And, you know, they're down there worshiping the golden calf. They're uh, having a really wild party with a lot of really inappropriate things going on. And he gets mad and he smashes the tablets. Um, the tablets that have the Ten Commandments that he had just given to them before he went up, which in Exodus 20, verses 4 and 6, says, You shall not make yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. But showing mercy to thousands. I like that he added that part. We have a merciful God, but also a just, righteous God. Um, showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. So Jeroboam isn't off to a good start. Um, all this stuff's recorded. They have the holy scriptures. They know their history. This, this is something that he should already know. He should know how this is going to go. Um, if you don't know how that went for Israel, uh, about 3,000 of them died as a result uh, of the judgment of God for having worshipped these, these calves. And Jeroboam just figured, well, that's not going to happen to me, I guess. So he built the golden calves, built the high altars. He's outside of the place that God ordained it as the place of worship. He, he has it set up in uh, Dan 
and um, in Bethel, and uh, the designated place is Jerusalem. So he, he's out of line there. He's assigning anyone who steps up to the priesthood. That's reserved for the Levites. So that's just anyone who comes. They don't have to have an ordination uh, by God on their life. Just anyone who wants to be a priest, go ahead. I'll put you up in there. He's really stepping out of God's will a lot in a lot of ways, and he's going to receive consequences for that, and we'll find out what those are. But this first portion of the teaching, we're actually going to look at a, a much less extreme example of stepping out of God's will um, and the consequences that those decisions bring forth all here in the same story. So I'll jump in here. Verses 1 and 2 read as such. It says, King... Uh, and behold, a man of God went from Judah. This is following Jeroboam setting up all these altars and everything. And behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord. And Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. Then he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, behold, a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David. And he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and men's bones shall be burned on you. So he's talking about King Josiah, who would come to power and fulfill this prophecy about 300 years later. He executed all of the illegitimate priests um, who were making sacrifices to false gods who did not have the ordination of God on their life. Um, and he would sacrifice them on the altars, or, or, and they were sacrificing on the altars built and established by Jeroboam here in uh, chapter 12 here, that would come to pass in 2 Kings chapter 12. Um, just for some context of who he's talking about, that prophecy did come true. Um, moving on into verse 3, the man of God, it says, and he gave a sign the same day, saying, this is the sign which the Lord has spoken, surely the altar shall be split apart and the ashes on it shall be poured out. Those signs, that's an immediate, like a wonder, a spectacle, like a miracle, something that he does right then to kind of legitimize the bigger prophecy. He says this big, horrible thing's going to happen later down the line, but just so you take me seriously, also the, uh, the altar's going to be busted up and we watch that happen here. Picking up back again in verse 4, it says, So it came to pass when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God who cried out against the altar in Bethel, that he stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Arrest him. Then his hand, which he stretched out toward him, withered, so that he could not pull it back to himself. The altar also was split apart, and the ashes poured out from the altar, according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. Then the king answered and said to the man of God, Please entreat the favor of the Lord your God and pray for me, that my hand may be restored to me. Don't you love he was ready to rough the guy up, and now he's asking him to pray for him. So the man of God entreated the Lord, and the king's hand was restored to him and became as before. Then the king said to the man of God, Come home with me and refresh yourself, and I will give you a reward. Megan, can you turn the volume down a little bit? I hear like an echo. Thank you. Um, so Jeroboam was ready to give this guy the business. Uh, he probably wanted to kill him. He just said, seize him. We don't know exactly what was going to happen. Usually they kill the prophets or they stone him or beat him up. Jeroboam, though, when, when the 
the sign came true right in front of him, he was impressed. He was, okay, it came to pass. And just for good measure, uh, the Lord shriveled his hand up and the prophet prayed for it to be restored and it was. So as if watching what he just said come true wasn't enough, his own hand shriveled up and came back per the prayer of the the man of God uh, by the one true God, of course. So Jeroboam should be totally convinced by now, right? Uh, he's totally going to tear down the altars. He's going he's gonna to move the places of worship off those high places. Uh, he's going to melt down the golden calves and sell earrings to the, the children of Israel, right? He's totally convinced. I'm not going to give you any spoilers. We'll just have to see what happens by the end of the chapter. Let's pick back up here in verse 8. It says, But the man of God said to the king, If you were to give me half your house, I would not go in with you, nor would I eat bread nor drink water in this place. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall not eat bread nor drink water nor return by the same way you came. So he went another way and did not return by the way he came to Bethel. So... This man of God is, he's doing really good. He, you know, uh, he's got very clear instructions from the Lord. He's walking it out perfectly. I definitely see a happy ending coming for this guy. He's walking it out. He, he's doing the right thing. This is going to end really well for him. And him and Jeroboam, they're, Jeroboam's convinced. He's going to tear down all the stuff. They're going to destroy the calves, and they're both going to live happily ever after, right? Is that... That's what it sounds like. It's, you know, I don't know. Let's, let's see here. Verses 11 through 19. This is a bigger chunk. Now an old prophet dwelt in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. They also told their father the words which he had spoken to the king. And their father said to them, Which way did he go? For his sons had seen which way the man of God went who came from Judah. Then he said to his sons, Saddle the donkey for me, so they saddled the donkey for him, and he rode on it, and went after the man of God, and found him sitting under an oak. Then he said to him, Are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said to him, Come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I cannot return with you, nor or I can I cannot return with you, nor go in with you, neither can I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. For I have been told by the word of the Lord. You shall not eat bread, nor drink water, nor return by going the way you come. He said to him, I too am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you to your house, then he may eat bread and drink water. But he was lying to him. So he went back with him, ate bread, and drank water. My question here, first time I read this, was what happened? He had a clear word from the Lord. He knew exactly what the Lord told him to do. He told the king. And then he told this guy. And just in a split second, the guy, well, I heard from an angel, and it's okay. So whatever the Lord told him, he, oh, okay, I'll go eat bread. What happened? He was doing so well. How could a guy so certain of his instruction step out of God's will so easily. And this is where I want to impress the importance of seeking God's will for your life and, and hearing from God. And how, how do we 
today hear from God. You know, we look back then, in his case, he's an Old Testament prophet. God would speak directly to him by the Holy Spirit. And, of course, they had scriptures to reference to as well uh, for, for other instruction and different different counsel, but the, the prophets would actually get direct prophecy from the Lord. They were the only ones back then who got the Holy Spirit, and only when God allowed it. He would, he would speak right through them and, and give them that divine counsel. In our case, he speaks to us in a number of ways to confirm things to us once he's spoken to us, but he primarily speaks to us through his word, through this text, these holy scriptures. Um, and my personal experience, and nearly everyone that I've spoken with uh, about hearing from the Lord, is that when, when I really need to hear from the Lord, he speaks clearly and directly to me through his word. Uh, sometimes it takes some, some effort, some, some waiting, some fasting, some praying, some, some really diligent, fervent prayer. Um, fasting and, and that intense, fervent prayer, and then just staying in here while you're doing so, it really, really helps get that, that clear direction from the Lord. The Lord, I have never gone out and sought the Lord diligently in that way and had him not speak to something to me. It's not always what I want to hear, but I have never had the Lord fail to come and speak to me and reveal his will to me. Um, anytime I've sought him in fasting, he has always been faithful to meet me there, and it takes time sometimes. Um, it, the Lord doesn't want us to just kind of, you know, have one of those split second, okay, what do you want me to do? You don't hear anything. Okay, well, I guess I can do whatever I want. He wants, put it this way, how important is it in your life to find out what the Lord's will is for you? Are you willing to seek it, to work for it a little bit, to, to really pour in that, that time and that energy into hearing from your creator, from your savior. And the Lord, I think, wants that. He wants to see us really seeking him, really reaching out for him, really, really wanting for ourselves what he wants for us, what he wants us to walk in, what he wants us to live out. So how important is it for you to find out the Lord's will in your life when you're wondering these things, when you have these big decisions? Are you, are, are you willing to wait for him to speak and listen when he speaks? Or are we just looking for a, a quick answer or an answer that we want? And if we don't get any answer, that must mean that what we want is the way it should go. I find myself reverting sometimes in my own life. You know, we're, we're, we're all human. We're going to continue to battle with our flesh, and it's, it's very easy sometimes to, to lose patience waiting on the answers to want to just go in our own strength and our own energy and make something happen. This broken chains house, you guys, you got to be kidding me. This year and a half of waiting to see what's going to happen has been a battle. Just me wanting to just go and say, okay, I'm just going to do it however I think it needs to be done. And I'm able to see now looking back, especially now that we just got the, the complete confirmation, the go-ahead 100% how the Lord was working at every little step. And if I had jumped out and done something in my own strength, it would have, it would have just thrown everything off course. It would have been like Abraham and Sarah when they tried to have their baby by Hagar. And then they had an Ishmael. And the Ishmael haunted them, the nation of Israel, for the rest of still till today. You know, I would have created some circumstance out of my own strength that would have been bad. 
whatever the Lord has told me at any given time, also, when I wait, when I, when I wait to hear from him, when I'm listening for his will in my life, when I finally hear it, when I, when I know, without a doubt, he told me something. He said, move this direction, stay and wait, do this, don't do that. His will has always proven itself to be his will in, in, in watching it play out. Even if it doesn't immediately make sense or if someone else has really rational advice for me that happens to be contrary to what I heard from the Lord, uh, his will will always prove itself in our lives. Later, I'm going to tell you guys how this very area of scripture applies to me in my walk in that very way later, but we have to get through it. Um, but as we, as we walk this out and his will proves itself in our lives, when we walk obediently and we see it happen, we see, we see everything he said come true, we see his hand working it out, we, we receive the blessings that have come to prove his will. We, we, we're able to be a part of his work instead of forcing our own work, and that's a blessing in and of itself. And unfortunately, sometimes that proof of his will comes in unpleasant ways as a result of our disobedience. But God's will will always prove itself. So how did this prophet step out of line so easily? He let his guard down. It seemed like a good idea coming from another prophet who claimed he'd heard from an angel. He was probably hungry, he was thirsty, he was tired, he's probably tired of being outside. He was sitting under a tree when the guy found him, he'd been walking. It was a good opportunity that seemed to have a reliable person offering it who also claimed to have heard it from heavenly beings. God does not change his mind. When the Lord tells you something, that's what he wants. He's not going to say, well, okay, I know that I told you this, but just never mind, forget about it. Do, go ahead, go eat the bread. I know you're hungry. He told him not to stay, not to eat bread, not to drink water, not to come back the way that he came. The Lord didn't change his mind. If he tells you something and you become certain that the Lord told you something, don't move from that. Walk that out, but don't move from that until he gives you your next step. He's not going to give you an alternative step, so to speak. He wants what he wants. He's telling you what he's telling you. There's, there's no or with God. His ways are perfect. His ways are thought out and planned in a way that we can never comprehend. So, okay. He messed up. He went out of God's will, but just a little bit. He had some food, he had some water. That's not that bad, right? It's not like Jonah who tried to go the other way and not prophesy to who he's supposed to prophesy at all, right? I mean, jo Jonah just completely didn't listen. This guy mostly listened, but he, he still stepped out of line, but just for like a snack. It's not a big deal, right? He got the message to who it needed to go to, so the big part got done. He should be fine, right? Let's look back to verse 20. It says, Now it happened, as they sat at the table, that the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. And he cried out to the man of God who came from Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the commandment 
which the Lord your God commanded you, but you came back, ate bread, and drank water in the place of which the Lord said to you, eat no bread and drink no water. Your corpse shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. The first thing I want to point out that's really awesome is how the Lord used the same man who lied, the same man who, who sinned and deceived the guy to speak the truth and prophecy. He used that same guy, the guy who brought him back. They're sitting at dinner together. He's like, yeah, come on, an angel told me. And then in the middle of dinner, the guy has a, a prophecy start coming through. Can you imagine? It's just sitting there eating bread, having small talk, and then thus says the Lord, and he tells him, you're not getting buried with the tomb, in the tomb of your fathers because you came back here. I can imagine the guy's feeling pretty uneasy at this point. But it just goes to show that even being disobedient, God will still use you for his good purposes. We cannot stand in the way of God's will, but we can step out of God's will in our own lives. But there's nothing we can do to stop God's will from happening. So even if we do something wrong, what God's will is, what he wants, the ultimate will, the, the, the big picture it's still going to happen. We can't get in the way of that. No amount of lying or sinning or anything is ever going to get in the way of that. But the enemy still tries, even knowing the scriptures and knowing the outcome, the enemy still tries to stifle God's will. So he's not going to be buried in the tomb of his fathers. This is very important to the Jewish people. Um, this is a big deal. This is a huge disrespect. This is a huge, he has dishonored his ancestors by, by doing what he did. This is a loss. The, I, I don't really, I mean, in, in American 21st century society, I don't really have any kind of thing to compare that to, but this is, this is bad news for this guy. We're going to see this fulfilled by the end of the chapter as well. But like I said, he's, he's got to be feeling pretty uneasy at this point. He just... You know, he just got called out really hard for stepping out of God's will, which he, he knew. He knew what God's will was. He let himself get deceived. He didn't stand firm on what he heard from the Lord. He should have. If a guy tells you that he heard from an angel, you really ought to go to God and make sure that that's what God is telling you and not some nut job who heard from an, an angel because it didn't work out well for this guy. Let's see what happens. Uh, in verse 23, we pick up. So it was, after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk, that he saddled the donkey for him, the prophet whom he had brought back. When he was gone, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his corpse was thrown on the road, and the donkey stood by it. The lion also stood by the corpse. And there men passed by and saw the corpse thrown on the road and the lion standing by the corpse. Then they went and told it in the city where the old prophet dwelt. So in the beginning, word got out about his what he, what he did to the king, the prophecy that he, he said before the king, the restoring of the hand, and then denying the king's offer to come and stay. So people know what he said. They know that he turned that down, and they know why. Word was spreading about this. People already knew. That's how the sons of this other prophet knew who he was to tell their dad. So now they know who it was, and now word is getting around about this, that he had just been killed by a lion. 
His disobedience is already casting a shadow on his purpose for having gone there in the first place. Look at verse 26. Now when the prophet who had brought him back from the way heard it, he said, It is the man of God who is disobedient to the word of the Lord. Therefore the Lord has delivered him to the lion, which has torn him and killed him, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to him. And he spoke to his son, saying, Saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled it. And then he went and found his corpse thrown on the road, and the donkey and the lion standing by the corpse. The lion had not eaten the corpse, nor torn the donkey. Even the lion is being obedient to what God's trying to do right here. And the prophet took up the corpse of the man of God, laid it on the donkey, and brought it back. So the old prophet came to the, into the city to mourn and to bury him. Then he laid the corpse in his own tomb, and they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother. Now, here's where that prophecy got fulfilled. The man put him into his own tomb. The man never made it to the tomb of his father's. Um, verse 31, it says, So it was, after he had buried him, that he spoke to his sons, saying, When I am dead, then bury me in the tomb where the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the saying which he cried out by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the shrines on the high places which are in the cities of Samaria will surely come to pass. So now the old prophet was convinced that these things spoken by the man of God would come to pass. He saw God work there even though the other prophet was disobedient. God's presence was still made known there. The scripture doesn't tell us why the old prophet lied. Is this why? Was it to confirm to him the validity of the prophecy? Was he curious? Did he want to see if it was actually going to happen? Because, you know, if it wasn't really going to happen, maybe he was going to be okay staying there and not speaking out against the idolatry anymore. Who knows? The scripture doesn't say. I heard a few different theories. We're not going to get into them because the scripture doesn't say anything about it. But we don't know why the prophet lied. What I know personal experience is that not everything that comes before us that's contrary to God's will is going to be a lie or bad or from a bad person. It happened to be a lie this time. It was deception. That's not always going to be the case. Satan often appears as an angel of light. He wants things to look good. He wants things to look enticing. He wants to pull you away. And if it looks bad, you're not going to follow. He makes the opposite of God's will look very appealing. And it stands to show that sometimes he will use things that aren't even sin in and of themselves to draw you away, which then it does become sin. I'll give you an example, and this is how this scripture really... Uh, has played a big part in, in my walk. I was out at uh, Calvary Chapel, uh, Joshua Springs Calvary Chapel in California where the Bible College was, and I had finished up my time there. They changed the Bible College into a, a different kind of Bible College, and it was a better opportunity, kind of. There was going to be a lot more of the, the more well-known Calvary pastors coming in to teach, and it was this year intensive program and there was all these opportunities. They help place you in ministry when you're done. And it, it just took on a different form. And um, I, Megan and I had the opportunity to attend and it was being made easier 
for us to stay and attend. But I remember I was just felt this tug on my heart to start an addictions ministry for a long time, and I didn't know how it was going to go. I didn't know where it was going to happen. I just, I just knew that the Lord had put that burden on my heart, and I've been praying about it. As you know, am I supposed to be in California to do this? Am I supposed to go somewhere I've never been to do this? How's this going to look? Um, and then I started feeling like. Uh, the Lord calling me back here to Cumberland, which I was reluctant to do. I had a lot of bad memories here. I, you know, uh, caused a lot of wreckage here. This is where all my, my worst moments were in life. So I, I, I didn't really want to come back when, the, when that time was in my life. But I remember calling up Pastor Rob one day. I was there at the, the church. Um, I was cleaning, so I was listening to audio Bible, so I could, you know, I wanted to read, but I was working with my hands and stuff, so I put the audio Bible in. I was listening to it um, by this guy in this really, like, deep English voice reading me the Bible, and um, I flipped over to the phone to call Pastor Rob, and I was just telling him what I was going through. I was you know, I don't know if I should go, if I should stay, or, or what I should do. That's the long, the short version of it. And he said what he always says to anybody. He said, seek the Lord and do what the Lord tells you. I can't give you any clear guidance on that. I can give you my advice, but seek the Lord. As soon as the phone hung up, it switched back to the audio Bible. It was in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. It said, the Lord our God spoke to us in Herob, saying, you have dwelt long enough on this mountain. Turn and take your journey. In this deep, bolsterous English voice. And I was like, all right, I've been here long enough. I'll go and take my journey. So that was the Lord's first kind of speaking to me. And if you guys have ever sought the Lord like that and, and been in the Word, whether audio Bible or not, just seeking constantly in prayer, asking those things, when, when the Lord speaks to you through the Scriptures, it can be something you've read a hundred times, but in that instant you know the Lord speaks it to you in a way that you have no doubt that it was the Lord speaking to you. You didn't just read it. You didn't just hear it. It applies to you right now. And that's what had happened. So some time has gone by. We, we planned our wedding. We had our wedding. We're trying to figure out how and when to come back. And I start, time starts going by, and I start wondering, did I actually hear from the Lord there? Did I did I hear correctly? Was that just me? Was that the Lord? I started trying to do like Gideon did, like, okay, Lord, if this is what you want, show me this, or do this over here, and then I'll know you're, you're speaking to me, and it just got to where I had to go. I had to go out in the wilderness alone in the desert, ironically enough, and, and just pray and pray and pray and seek the Lord there alone, and I came across this area of scripture, and I remember the parallels that were there, you know, in my instance, I didn't have anyone lying to me, but I had a person that was raising me up, who I respected a lot, who was very wise and really wanted what was best for me, who was offering me this really fantastic opportunity, making it very easy to stay and attend this school where I would learn from these fantastic teachers. And this, this it was just right there. He wasn't lying to me. I have no doubt in my mind that he had every best intention. He might have even heard from the Lord saying, make this easy for them. Who knows? Maybe the Lord was testing my obedience by giving me another opportunity contrary to him. It's hard to say, but what I know is that I heard something specific from the Lord. And when I went out and I was fasting and I was reading this area of scripture, it just played back through my mind again that the Lord had already spoken. I had my instruction. And if I wasn't going to do that, I was going to get mauled by a lion. 
So the Lord used that same area of scripture that we just read to, to reconfirm to me what his will was in my life. And it's important that we take that initiative to hear the Lord's will in our lives and then to walk in that when those times come before us. So, looking back to finish off the chapter, verse 33, it says, After this event, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way, but again he made priests from every class of people from the high places. Whoever wished, he consecrated them, and he became one of the priests of the high pl- uh, and he became one of the priests of the high places and this thing was the sin of the house of Jeroboam so as to exterminate and destroy it from the face of the earth now it doesn't say here point blank but you could really read that the way that it says after this event Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way you can really read this with the implication that Jeroboam did not turn from his ways as a result of the disobedience of the man of God his witness made a statement his lack of obedience made a statement whether it says that here or not I promise you the world the rest of the church people on the fence of belief and unbelief are all watching how we carry ourselves as the church. They're watching to see if we're obedient. And our obedience and disobedience sends a message to everyone. Our obedience is for ourselves to walk out also. This is an important part because we see how another person pulled this person away from their their obedience. We're, We're not negating the prophet's responsibility to walk in his obedience, but he had an outside influence. Our obedience is for us to walk out, not anyone else. What the Lord calls us to do is what the Lord calls us to do, and he'll speak that directly to us if we seek that. But we can't be the Lord to speak to other people. Sometimes the Lord will use other people to speak and confirm something to someone, but if the Lord spoke to you, he's not going to tell another person something different to go tell you. If the Lord spoke to you, he spoke to you. And if you know that, then know it and stand on it and and stand firm on it. It's important for us to be seeking the Lord always as the final instruction, that, that end all, this is what I'm supposed to do. Good advice from someone else does not negate the will of the Lord. And we can get really good advice. We can get really good opportunities. But if the Lord told you to do something else, do it no matter who has what to say about it. And it's important to keep in mind that our experience and the Lord's will in our lives and how the Lord walked or played his will out in our life and any good advice that we have for somebody doesn't negate God's will in someone else's walk. Like I said, we, we are not God. We are not the Holy Spirit. We need... It's, it's really easy to look at someone else through our fleshly eyes, our prideful human eyes, and think someone's crazy or stupid or they're doing something that they shouldn't or that they, they couldn't possibly be doing the will of the Lord because why would the Lord tell you to do that? Why would the Lord tell you not to attend Calvary Bible College? That is stupid. That is such a good opportunity. Why would the Lord tell you that? I don't believe the Lord telling you not to do that. We want to help our brothers and sisters. We want to offer the best scriptural advice that we can, but we need to take care not to interfere with what the Lord is telling someone. Sometimes we see things 
the will of the Lord sometimes that, that he, 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 the thing he has for us. And this is, we're going to turn just briefly here to 2 Kings chapter 5, if you guys earmarked that. Sometimes what the, the will of the Lord is, what he wants us to do is so simple, we have trouble believing that what we're being told is enough. We look here, verse 1, and I'm just going to read through this, and we're just going to briefly discuss it. Now Naaman, the commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. We're drawing near towards the end of time, so I'm just going to summarize this. He, he gets sent with a letter to the king of Israel to meet the prophet Elisha to get healed. One of his servants in his house was someone who was taken from Israel and knows of the, the great prophets of the, the God of Israel and suggested that he go to get healed. So he comes, travels from Syria to Israel, you know, trying to think of the distance he figured he probably walked or rode horseback from like Pittsburgh to Cumberland and he gets there Elisha doesn't even come out to meet him he sends his servant and says go tell this guy to take a dip in the Jordan seven times and then he'll be clean he'll be healed and uh, he was offended he couldn't believe that it was that simple the guy didn't come out and call upon God to to do this thing and it wasn't this big elaborate wonder he just told him something so simple. Just go, go dip in the Jordan. He was offended that it was the Jordan River. That's like someone walking here and we say, just go jump in the Potomac. It's, it's all right. You'll be, those wounds will heal down there. No infection. Don't worry. And, you know, he, he was looking at it from those eyes. The Euphrates was much greater and cleaner, and he just couldn't get past it. He was going to leave. His own servant reminded him, is this really that difficult to do? Just... Just do it. What do you have to lose? And he did it. He followed through that simple instruction, and he was healed. Something so minuscule, something that, that we can be asked to do, that we think, how can that make any difference? It's not always going to be healing. It's not always going to be whatever. Sometimes it's just the simplest stuff. Go talk to that person, or, or go ask this person if they need prayer, or whatever. Just something so simple we think, well, I can't make a difference in that person's life by praying with them or, or, you know, the Lord can't work by me just going and talking to this person or whatever. We, we've, we've got these things. People ask me all the time, with recovery, what did you do? And my answer is always just read your Bible, pray, try and build your foundation with the Lord. Yeah, but what did you do? That's what I did. I didn't do anything. The Lord did it all, and it was by doing something simple of just getting in here and learning who God is, who Christ is, learning about the gospel and the sacrifice that Christ made and building that relationship. It was so simple. And for a long time, I didn't think that could help in my own life. It took me a long time to get to that point where I said, okay, this simple thing might change my life. And that's not to brag on me. I give all the glory to God on that. Like I said, I didn't do anything. Sometimes... The Lord will ask us to do something we can't comprehend. We can't rationalize it. Let's jump to Luke chapter 5 real quick. This kind of falls between the, the things we, we can't really rationalize and the things that are so simple. Why would that happen? So I'm going to read through here. Chapter 5 verse 1 in Luke says... 
So it was, as the multitude pressed about him, Jesus, to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, that's the uh, Sea of Galilee, and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, that's Peter, and asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. And he had stopped speaking, and he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let your nets for a catch. Simon answered to him and said, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down this net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, so their net was breaking. And by the end of that section, he, he rallied them as his disciples. He says, you'll be fishers of men. These guys did not know Jesus yet. They're just meeting him, depending on where you think the canon falls, the, the, the timeline. Seems like they're just meeting him, in my opinion. Um, they've got no frame of reference for who he is, for what he says. But they have a, even just that little amount of faith, that mustard seed faith, and they say, okay. Now, mind you, there was probably reluctance. They're professional fishers, and they had just spent the entire night trying to do it in their own strength, their own knowledge, their own wisdom of their profession. And this guy came and said, well, do it. Do it again. All right, I'll do it again. Something really simple. Just throw the net out. I already tried this, but, uh, you know, I'll, I'll do it because you told me to. And then it says their nets were overflowing. Something so simple that the Lord told them to do, and it paid off big time. Now, we're going to close with one last section of obedience Joshua chapter 6. I almost ended this with the, uh, the story of the guy getting mauled, but I figured I would end on a victorious note instead of the, uh, the sad note. So Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Says, now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. They had just come into the land. They crossed the River Jordan and they're in to, to claim the promised land to take what the Lord has given to them. Verse 2 it says, And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hands, its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go around the city once. This you shall do six days. And the seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of rams, ram's horns, before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout, then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up every man straight before him. Can you imagine, it says, the men of war, all you men of war, these guys are ready for a fight. They're warriors. They get done what they get done by the sword. And God told Joshua, and Joshua told them, we're just going to take laps. We're just going to walk around the city once, once a day, then at the end we're we're going to blow the trumpets after we walk around seven times, and then we're going to yell, and those giant stone fortified walls are going to fall down. 
when I did this with the middle school kids, I taught a lesson on this out there in California. They all shouted. Nothing happened. This must seem completely absurd to these military men. How is this going to achieve what we need to achieve? How is this going to tear down these giant walls? It must have been a little bit humiliating to some of them walking around. These walls have watchmen on them. These other military men from their enemies, and they're just taking laps, just walking around. Probably not certain of what they're doing, just doing it because rank got pulled. Some of them hopefully trusted that it was of the Lord, but I, I bet a lot of them were really reluctant, really uncertain. We may not understand why God is telling us to do something. And we may not be able to rationalize it in our simple human minds how something simple could be a meaningful, life-changing outcome. And we may not be able to understand how something that we find to be really strange, maybe illogical, maybe irrational, could possibly work in the end. What we do need to understand and where we can put our faith and what we, we, we can bank on is that once we've heard from the Lord and that we know we've heard from the Lord, that we trust in him, that we have faith in him, that he is great enough to work in ways that we can't and don't have to understand. Sometimes if we did understand, we might not do it. We might look at our circumstance right now and think, well, I kind of like this better or I'm afraid or, or whatever, you know, um, but we serve a great and mighty Savior. He's the creator of all things inside this massive universe. He's the orchestrator of our DNA. That's the most complex coding system ever known. And he was able to make each and every one of us different, down to that smallest level, the smallest detail in the DNA to make us who we are, making you who you are, giving you your own personality, your own being. The same God who took on human form to walk among us, to shine light into our lives, and to pay the price for our often unspeakable disobedience in sinful ways. Trust that walking in his will will ultimately provide you with all you need. Even if it's not what you think you need. I've talked to people who struggle with prayer now because they they lost something financially when they were praying so hard to keep it. And that's what they needed in their own mind. But maybe spiritually speaking, in the Lord's will, that's the opposite of what you needed. Maybe the Lord needed you to face something and lean on him and rely on him to get where you needed to be spiritually. We can't see these things. We can't see to the end. We don't know. But we can trust that he will give us what we need. If if any of us here have trouble believing that his will is always what's best, we can look to the cross, to his own death. He loved us enough to prove that he wants and knows what's best for our lives and for his heavenly purposes. So whether the Lord's asking us to do something simple, something really strange, whether we've got people possibly really positive influences in your life, telling you something that maybe you, that's not what you heard from the Lord. 
Stand fast on God's promises, on God's word, on God's truth, and that his will ultimately prevails, whether we walk in it or not. And I often find that when you step out of God's will that everything else tends to fall apart in such a way that the road you started to go down gets blocked off until you wind up back on God's will. And it's painful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your sovereignty, Lord. We thank you for your will. We thank you that your ways are greater than our ways. We thank you that you know all things and that we don't have to understand and can't understand everything that you do, Lord. If we could understand everything you did, you wouldn't be who you are. We just thank you for for the work you do in our lives, Lord, for the work you did on the cross and for the chance we have to just spend eternity with you, Lord, and, and constant praise, Lord, and we praise you now. We, we, we lift up another song to you, Lord, just to thank you. I just pray that we could, we could sing this song to you like, like you're right here with us, Lord. When two or more are gathered, it says you're present, Lord. We, we may not see you physically, Lord, but you're here, and we're singing to you as a gift, Lord, and I just pray that we would, we would sing like that, Lord, whether we're singing internally or outwardly with our vocals, Lord, just that we would be glorifying you in our hearts the whole time because you're so worthy, Lord, and we just love you and we praise you, and I, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.